My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here at New Life Church Wilsonville, and I am super glad that you are all here this morning. I am thankful for the weather. Last year, I remember it was hot, hot. And there were not this many people last year. I don't know if that's because of the weather or because the church is growing, but I'm, I'm just really excited to be praising God uh, with all of you this morning. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 59 as we continue in our Songs for Summer series. And we have been working our way through the book of Psalms over the last several summers. And this Psalm, Psalm 59 has this heading on it. It says, uh, To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. And so this, this psalm is, is one of those songs that David wrote under, uh, there was a, this circumstance that was happening where his life was being threatened. And if you're familiar with David's story at all, you recognize that his life was being threatened quite often. And quite often his life was being threatened by Saul. But this story comes from 1 Samuel chapter 19. And I want to just tell the story for you a little bit so that you can get the context of what this psalm is coming from. Okay? So, uh, David, you may, if you know David at all, you probably know the connection between David and Goliath, right? David defeated the great giant when everybody else was afraid to, uh, particularly Saul. Saul was afraid to go out and face Goliath, and, and all these other people also, they just stood back and saw how huge and massive this guy was, and they said, I'm not going to do that. But David stepped up and said, no, I trust the Lord. I trust that the Lord is going to, to deliver. Israel, and so I'm going to go out and, and face this giant. And after that, after he defeated Goliath, um, he got brought into Saul's house, and, and people just loved David. I mean, Saul's son, Jonathan, just treated him like a brother. He thought he was so wonderful. Uh, Saul's daughter, Michael, fell in love with him. I mean, it just seemed like everybody loved David. And David was good at leading people. When the Philistines would attack, David would be the one that would, would lead the army and they would go out and defeat people and people would sing about, wow, I mean, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And everybody was just so excited about David and his military leadership and, and all that he was doing. It, everyone was excited except for one guy and that was Saul. Saul was not too thrilled. Thrall, Saul felt very threatened by David. Because here was this young guy that everybody seemed to follow. Even his family seemed to be following him. And Saul's going, but I'm king. But I'm king. I want that recognition. Pay attention to me. I'm the king. What do you mean I killed a thousand and David killed tens of thousands? No, I'm the king. And so he was getting jealous of David and he went, you know what? We have to get rid of David. We just have to kill David. And so in Psalm, in 1 Samuel 19, he comes to Jonathan and he's like, Jonathan, we got to kill David. And Jonathan goes, what are you talking about? David's my best friend. How could you even think about it, Dad? How could you even think about killing David? David has been so faithful to the nation of Israel and David has been killing the Philistines. He's been defeating them and he's not been doing it for his own glory but just for the sake of Israel. He's been so good for our country. And Saul goes, you know what? You're right. You're right. 
I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't kill him. And so uh, it, it, he swears in, in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 19, Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and Saul swears, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And so Jonathan calls David and Jonathan reports this to David and says, Oh, it's all cool now. I talked with dad. You guys are fine. There's not going to be any issues now. Don't worry about it. And there was war again. And David went out and he fought the Philistines again. And he won again because that's what David does. And then it says in verse 9, A harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the liar. So David, not only a great uh, army leader of armies and commander, but also great musician. And so he would play for Saul and comfort him on the lyre, singing songs for him. And it says, while he was playing the lyre, Saul sat with a spear in his hand and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul and struck the wall instead. And David fled and escaped that night. And then verse 11, And Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. That's the context for this psalm. So when it says, uh, this is according to do not destroy a miktam of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him, this is the background on that. Here are these guys sitting outside David's house, after Saul has already promised, don't worry, I'm not going to kill him. You're right, that's a bad idea for the nation of Israel. We're not going to do that. He then changes his mind and says, no, actually, turns out, I want him dead after all. This guy is no good. Let's just get rid of him. Now, he's already married Saul's daughter, Michael. So when David runs away home, he's home with David's daughter, Michael, and these guys that Saul sends are standing outside the house waiting for David to come out so that they can kill him. And now he's going to sing this song. Isn't that weird? I just picture this whole scenario with David in the house and the guy sitting outside and Saul, Saul's done this and, and, and David's going, you know what, I think I'll sing a song. <laughs> and I, I want to, to just take that and, and say there are opportunities in times of trouble when you don't recognize that there are opportunities there. There are opportunities in times of trouble, and I want to tell you about four of them this morning through this psalm. Four opportunities that we have in times of trouble. Now, David's time of trouble is specifically this persecution of these people, right? These people that are seeking after his life. Maybe you have persecution of people too. There are just these people that seem to be against you for some reason and you're not sure why. It seems like no matter what you do, you cannot get on their good side. Everything you do seems to make them angry. Sometimes you have a different set of troubles. Maybe they're financial troubles or their health troubles or their relational troubles where they're not really your enemy. It's just not working out like it's supposed to or you're having difficulty with family or something. But there are opportunities in times of trouble, and this psalm leads us through a couple of those. So I want to look at this psalm now. Psalm uh, 59, starting in verse 1. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. 
Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine they run and make ready. Awake, come and meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, our God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Selah. He starts off by saying, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. And this picture, deliver me from those men who work evil uh, and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, verse 3, they lie in wait. Fierce men stir up strife against me. And you just picture David writing this out, right? And this isn't just like poetic language. There are violent men sitting outside his door waiting to kill him. He's just writing down what's happening. He's writing it down as, as these guys are, are, are sitting outside the door. But the opportunity that I want to point out to you is he's crying out to the Lord. The first opportunity that we have in a time of trouble is that we get to cry out to the Lord. Now that may seem like a no-brainer and you could go, but Travis, come on. That's an opportunity we have every day. I can cry out to the Lord anytime. I don't need a time of trouble. It reminds me a little bit of talking with people who tell me that they don't need Valentine's Day. They don't need Valentine's Day to be told when to be romantic. And I said, you know what? If you think that, you definitely do. Because somebody who doesn't need Valentine's Day to be romantic uses Valentine's Day to be romantic and they appreciate whatever excuse they have. And if you feel grumpy about Valentine's Day as an opportunity to be romantic, you're the kind of person that needs Valentine's Day to be reminded to be romantic. Similarly, yes, you're right. We can cry out to the Lord at any time. We can cry out to the Lord day and night, all day long, in fact. But we need reminders at times that the Lord is there and that He wants to hear from us. We need reminders, those times of troubles that come up, so that we can cry out to the Lord and say, God, I'm in trouble and I need help. Sometimes people think, oh, God doesn't want to hear about that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't trouble God, or I shouldn't bother God with that. But He absolutely does. Do you know that He loves you? Like, literally loves you. When you love someone, are you bothered when they come and t- t- tell you about things that they're struggling with? When you love someone, are you troubled? Does it irritate you when they come along and go, you know what, there are these people who, they're out to get me. I mean, we don't like to be complainers, right? But when it's somebody that we really love and we have relationship with them, you can tell that to me. Right? 
Don't go posting it on Facebook or throwing it on your Twitter feed or Instagram or that kind of thing. Don't, don't go airing your dirty laundry just complaining to be a complainer. But for those who really know you, those who can commiserate with you, pray with you, hug, with, hug you, comfort you, walk alongside you in times of trouble, they don't mind. That's what they're there for. They're your friends. They're your family. They're your life group members. They're the ones that are walking alongside you. They want to hear from you. They're the kind of people that don't want you to keep it from them. When you're in pain, when you're dealing with a time of trouble and they find out afterwards that, oh, you were dealing with this, but you didn't want to trouble them with it. They go, what do you think this is? I thought we were friends. Friends tell people this kind of thing so that we can deal with it together, so that we can walk through it together. God is not up there going, oh, really? You're in trouble again? Figure it out on your own this time. God is up there watching and going, why are they not talking to me about this? Why have they not complained at all? Why have they not reached out? Don't they know I love them? Don't they know how much I wish I could come and help? And they just sit there and stew and complain and fuss about it to themselves. But never to me and I could take care of their issues. The first opportunity that we have is we can cry out to the Lord in times of trouble. Deliver me from my enemies. Oh my God, protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine they run and make ready. This is the second opportunity. Self-examination. As David is, is calling out, he wants to point out, look, God, I didn't bring this upon myself. Now, David is not saying that he's sinless. He's not saying that he has no transgressions at all. He's just saying it's not because of the things that I've been doing that they are treating me this way. And when you look back at 1 Samuel 19, you recognize that's true. That's the very thing that Jonathan was saying. Jonathan was saying, look, everything he has done has been for the sake of Israel. Everything he has done has been to support and encourage you as king. Why would you want to kill him? He hasn't done anything wrong. And in fact, when Jonathan puts it that way, Saul looks objectively, right? Before that, he was looking subjectively and he was just jealous of David. But at at that moment, when Jonathan asked him that question, he was looking at it objectively and he went, you know what? You're right. You're right. I don't know of a better servant in all of Israel. I don't know of a better supporter in all of Israel than David. He has only done what is right. Yeah, that's true. Yep, you're right, Jonathan. And so when David is saying this, he knows that, right? Because then immediately afterward, Jonathan comes and he talks to David and he says, Look, David, I talked to my dad and I told him, 
David's your biggest supporter. He's the biggest, uh, best servant in all of Israel. And he agreed with me. And so he promised he wasn't going to hurt you. And so David heard that. And now he's complaining to the Lord. And he says, uh, Lord, I just want to let you know that there are these bloodthirsty men sitting outside waiting to kill me. But it wasn't my fault, God. It's not my fault this time. Other times, my fault. This time, not my fault. They're just out to get me for no reason. But there's the opportunity of self-examination here. When you're in a time of trouble, there are times when it is not your fault. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It just seems like people turned on you, even though you were being nice and friendly. They just lashed out at you because of something going on with them or because of some jealousy or some other circumstance, it was not your fault. There are other times when you totally brought that trouble right on yourself. You totally deserve exactly what's happening. The way that you treated those people, you should expect that they would respond the way that they're responding. In which case, if that's the case, then you're going to want to both cry out to the Lord and ask for repentance from those people. You just repent to them and you say, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? And maybe they say yes and maybe they say no. But that's going to be a different outcome. The, the first part, though, is the examining and saying, is this my fault? Did I do this? If David had gone uh, to King Saul and gone, you know what? I'm basically next in line. Your son is devoted to me. The people are devoted to me. I married your daughter. All the people are singing my praises. It's only a matter of time. You're really a lame duck king. I mean, if David had been saying that sort of thing, then definitely he would have been deserving this. But he's going, but that's not what's happening. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine they run and make ready. I think when we're in a time of trouble, we should have some self-examination. Did I uh, misuse my circumstances? Did I misuse a relationship that I had? Did I take advantage of something somewhere? Did I bring this upon myself? And when the answer is no, as is in the case of David, then we cry out to the Lord as part of our crying out to Him and go, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why this is happening. But can I just complain to you, Lord? Can we just talk about this? That this is what's going on. These people are against me. They want to take advantage of me. They want to, to kill me. And I, I just don't understand why. Because I have tried and I have tried and I have tried to do the right thing. Isn't it frustrating when that happens? I've done that and I, I, I've been with somebody that I have been trying to help them. And for whatever reason, they looked at me and went, he has it out for me. And so no matter what I did, it just... They, they attributed different motives to whatever I did. And I just cry out to the Lord. And I say, Lord, what? I don't understand. I have tried. 
I have tried, and I, my, my motives have been pure. The, I have really, in, wis, in uh, asking you for wisdom, have done what I thought was the best thing to do, and it has turned out this way, Lord. And, and God, I just need you to take this. And so he continues to cry out. He continues to petition the Lord. It says, Awake! Come to me and see! Wake up, God! Look, God, if you were really paying attention, it seems like this shouldn't be happening right now, so wake up! Hello? I ran away. It's nighttime now. There are people outside my door, but I need you to be awake because in the morning when I go outside, they're going to kill me. That's how this is going to go, Lord, unless you wake up and pay attention. Come to meet me. Look at what I've done. Look at, I'm not just making this up. You can ask Jonathan. You can ask Michael. Come and figure this out. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Look, you're my God, but you're the God of Israel. You're the God of everything. You're the God of hosts. The God of armies, this little uh, group of guys, this little squad that's come to, to attack me, they got nothing on you. You're the God of hosts. Awake, come to meet me. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. God, as, as long as we're talking about stuff, would you just, just take care of all the justice? I'm just looking around God and I'm thinking that it's not just me who's in trouble here. There's a whole bunch of people. I don't even think it's good for your nation the way that this is going right now, God. And so would you just come through and just wipe them all out? Just deal with all the justice all at once. Then we'll be okay. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. I know, I know, God, there's going to be this ultimate justice, but I'm, I'm looking for justice right now. I know at the end of time you're going to come and you're going to judge all the nations and you're going to make everything right and all of that stuff, but I'm not feeling it right now. Could you bring some justice right now? Just maybe a little bit or all of it right now? That'd be great. Then he continues, he goes on. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. Isn't that interesting? This, this, this picture, right? As literally, Saul has sent this group of guys and they're waiting outside David's door. They're probably not like right outside the door because that would tip David off. But they're just like near the door and they're, they're just, they're talking. Yeah, well, I heard he did this. Well, I heard he did that. And they're just sort of growling to each other like, like a pack of wild dogs. Like, like some coyotes, you know, the coyotes that you hear at night sometimes and they're sort of howling to each other. And then you hear them get really excited when they've got some sort of prey that they're closing in on. And these guys are sitting right outside the door and they're kind of doing that sort of thing because they're closing in and they know that he's trapped in the house and they know that Saul has sent them and they know that, oh, this is like Saul's number one guy that he wants dead. And so we are going to be the guys that we're going to take care of this guy. We're going to get rid of David and then we're going to get promoted and we're going to be all important and, and and so they're just standing outside and they're growling like dogs. And, and so he, he writes this down, right? Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. 
They're bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. They're not thinking about the consequences of what they're doing. They were just told, go and do this. Saul told them, go, kill David. As soon as he comes out of the house, just take him out. But who, who's going to hear them? God, God, it's like they're not thinking about the consequences at all. They're, they're not thinking about who's paying attention. Do you remember that in 1 Samuel 19, Jonathan came to Saul and said, Don't kill David, because David's been your biggest supporter. And what did Saul do? He swore an oath. In verse 6 of 1 Samuel 19, he swore an oath. As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And then verses later, he commands these guys to go wait outside uh, David's door so that they can kill him in the morning. You'd think he'd be concerned about those consequences. You would think that he would be concerned about the fact that he swore an oath before God that David would not die and then turns around and commands these guys to kill him. But he doesn't seem to be concerned about that at all. Who is there? Who is there that might bring about some consequences? From this, Who is there that would listen and hear and do something about this? They're acting as if there is no God of justice. They're acting as if there is no one listening, no one paying attention to what they're doing. They're going to do this and there's not going to be anything done about it. But this is the third opportunity that you have in times of trouble. And that is to consider the character of the Lord. Consider the character of the Lord. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They're, there they are, bellowing with their mouths, their swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. And it's really easy for us to get focused on them. Those people that are our enemies or those people that have put themselves against us and are attacking us, but... Verse 8, but you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. My God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and the lies that they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them until they are no more, that they may know that, the, that God rules over Jacob and to the ends of the earth. He, he considers the Lord. He, he could be focused on them, those guys that are sitting outside their, his door like wild dogs waiting to kill him. But instead he says, but you, O Lord, but you, you are my strength. 
I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait for you. You are my fortress. You are the one who has steadfast love and will meet me. Remember before how he said, come Lord and see? Now he's saying, and the Lord will meet me. He will meet me in this place. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. As we continue in uh, 1 Samuel 19, in verse 15, it says, Then Saul sent messengers to see David. Well, okay, so let me back up. In verse 11, um, as the men are waiting outside the door, Michael, his wife, comes to him and tells him, If you don't escape tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. And Michael took an image and and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it up with clothes. So she she takes this this thing that looks kind of like David and she sticks it in the bed and she covers it up and she puts some goat's hair by the head. (laughs) And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said... Oh, he's sick. So here's this, here's this pack of guys, this wild group of guys that are standing outside the door and they're watching that front entrance and like any great spy movie or whatever, David just goes out the window in the back and runs away. And they, they cover up this thing in the bed. And, oh, I'm sorry, David can't come out to die this morning. He's sick. <laughs> And so they go back and they tell Saul, Saul, sorry, David, you couldn't come out to play. He was sick. <laughs> so that in verse 8 of Psalm 59, it says, But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You laugh at them. They're waiting to kill me, but you're laughing at them. And we, along because we know this story, we're laughing too. David's probably standing on some rooftop somewhere else watching those guys as they're sitting outside the door, and he's laughing. God, we're laughing together. Because you're delivering me from my trouble. Here they think that they're going to kill me, and, and, and it's, there's nothing in the bed. I'm not there. You, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You hold the nations in derision. You are my strength. I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. When we are in times of trouble, we look to the character of God for our hope. When we look at our circumstances for our hope, it's not there. When we look to ourselves for our hope, it's not there. When we look to other people for our hope, they will disappoint us. And again, it's not there. But when we look to the character of God, we have real hope. We have real hope. Because we know that He is the God of nations. We know that He is the God of armies. We know that He is the mighty God over everything. And He will deliver us. He will deliver us. He's faithful to do that. So after those messengers come back to Saul, Saul sends the messengers to see David saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. All right, if he's sick and he can't get out of bed, then just bring the whole bed up here and I'll kill him myself. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed and the pillow of goat's hair at its head. And Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he escaped? 
And she said to, to Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? And David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. They, they just went somewhere else for a while. God delivered him just like David knew that he would. Just like David knew that he would. There are times I think that, that even as Christians, we look to God and we go, I know that you have saved me from my sin, God, but I don't, I don't feel comfortable trusting you with my troubles. But when we look at the character of God, we know He loves us and He is capable. And so try Him and know, cry out to Him. Let Him know, this is what's going on, God. I need your help. Please save me. Interestingly, he says in verse 11, Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and the lies that they utter. That there, David seems to be saying here, God, let them fail. Let their words of attack against me come back on them. But don't utterly destroy them yet. Don't take away the trouble entirely or else your people might forget about you. Go ahead and leave the troubles for a little while, God. So that we remember that we need you. If you took them away entirely, we might forget and we might become self, self-dependent. But, but leave them there for a little while. So that we will remember to cry out to you. So that we will remember that you are our security, our strength, and our fortress. And then in verse 13, and then consume them in wrath. Then consume them until they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. And again, so that God's character may be known to everybody. It is amazing to me how often through the Psalms we see this when David is in some sort of dire circumstance and he does want relief, he does want deliverance out of his trouble, but he also is ultimately looking for the glory of God and he's saying, God, you need to be glorified in this. And so this brings us to our fourth opportunity in times of trouble, that we get to praise God for his protection. Verse 14, each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl when they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. If you missed it somehow, I just want to point out that that to David, God is his steadfast love. The God who shows me steadfast love, in verse 17. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love, in verse 16. In verse 10, my God in his steadfast love will meet me. Somewhere about halfway through the psalm, after David had been crying out to the Lord and telling him about all of the troubles and doing the self-evaluation thing, 
as he was considering the character of God, he was recognizing not only is God strong, not only is God my fortress, not only will God protect me, not only will God deliver me from this, but God loves me with a steadfast, faithful love. God loves me with a steadfast, faithful love. There is no other love like the love of our God. There is no other love like that. Our God will always, always be faithful to us. He has demonstrated that by giving us His Son. So that in the book of Romans, we were told that uh, if He would not withhold His Son from us, would He withhold anything? That again is where we, we look and we say, if God has forgiven me of my sin, my sin, that thing that separates me from God because it is an affront to God Himself, if He has removed that, then surely He loves me. Surely He would help me through on everything else. And as we reflect on that, we sing our praises to Him. Sometimes our praises may look like telling other people about all the great things that God has done for us. Sometimes it's passing it on to our children and just saying, look, this is how God has been faithful to me. Sometimes it's literally writing a song and singing it, as David did. In the middle of those circumstances, somewhere along the way, he writes this psalm and says, you know what? God, may you be praised. I'm going to praise you and then I'm going to publish this so that all of your people can sing it for generations and generations. I don't know that David knew that this long and this far away from what those circumstances when he first wrote it, we would still be talking about this. And I don't think you know or you understand that as God delivers you from times of trouble and you pass those stories along, how long those stories will be passed on. I'm passing along my grandfather's stories to my kids. God's faithfulness. God's steadfast love to His people which was expressed specifically to David, it was expressed to the nation of Israel, it has been expressed to my family, and it has been expressed to us. Our God loves us. And so even in times of trouble, we have the opportunity to pray to Him and connect with Him and ask us to hear we have the opportunity to self-reflect and see, is there something in me that needs to be removed or that is causing this problem? 
We have the opportunity to look to the character of God and ultimately we have the opportunity to praise God for His faithfulness and for His deliverance from our sin and to carry us through every circumstance we find ourselves in. And so I would encourage you this morning that as uh, the worship team comes back up to sing a couple more songs, that you would worship Him in that way as our God who loves us and is our steadfast rock. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we come to you this morning. And we are so grateful that you welcome us with open arms. That you have already loved us. That we can love you because you have already loved us. Father, thank you that you care to hear that you care to hear when we are doing well, that you care to hear when we are in times of trouble, and that you will always show yourself to be faithful. Lord, we ask, would you continue to encourage our hearts with these things this week? That we might be quick to pray, that we might be quick to praise. And Lord, we ask for these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.